we're ready to hear what he has for us today. Um, I think it's always important that we prepare ourselves before we come. You know, that's, that's a lot of it for Sunday morning is preparing and getting ready for what the Lord has for us. And always being ready to be a learner. You know, what is it that the Lord wants to teach me? And uh, what does he want me to do with what he's told me today? So uh, it's just great to see you. I hope you're thrilled to be here and you're wide awake and ready to, uh, to worship the Lord. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians in the second chapter. And we want to read verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, as we continue in our reading together through the book of Ephesians. And uh, in honoring the Lord, I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read his word together. Chapter 2, verse 11. Remember in verse 10, he said, For we are. in them, and then he says, therefore, because of that, remember who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Boy, that's a great message for our world today. He's our peace. He is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the Enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word on this morning. Let's bow and and pray together. Father, today we want to just begin by thanking you for the opportunity to be able to come to this place and to be able to worship together. And as we mentioned from the very beginning, being ready to do that is very, very important. Uh, I pray that, that the things that maybe are 
uh, distracting us, Lord, that you would remove those distractions. Maybe we brought things in here that we're worried about or concerned about or things in life that are just um, taking us away maybe from more of a focus on you. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would help us, help us to focus in on what's being sung and the message in the songs and the message in your word today. And I just pray that you would challenge us this morning, that when we leave this place today, we will think more about our day-to-day fellowship that we have with you because of Jesus Christ. And so we just commit this morning to you. We pray that you're glorified, Lord, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If y'all just remain standing with us um, and join us in singing about the Lord this morning.
thank the youth for uh, leading us this morning and you know one of the blessings we have here at, at Grace is to have different uh, teams that lead us in worship uh, several praise teams actually that have been formulated over the last year for sure and uh, so we are really really thankful for the youth and their participation this morning and for the praise teams and and for uh, the choir that uh, you know we just have so many different groups that lead us and that's a blessing you know you don't have that in a lot of churches you pretty much are narrowed down to one type and and here if you're here at grace you know we have different ones that lead and so i just wanted to make mention of that this morning now what a blessing that is uh, for us here at grace i feel like it's been 35 years since i taught um it's been a while since i've been up here and it's been a while since we've been in 2 Timothy, but I need you to take your Bibles and, and go there to 2 Timothy in the second chapter. And our goal is to finish this uh, chapter either today or next week. And um, we want to kind of take a look at what Paul has to say uh, to Timothy in this section. And it's really under two different headings. Uh, he's, he's still talking about the honorable vessel um, in verse 22 and 23, but then when he gets to 24, he talks about the bondservant or the slave and how that looks. Um, I needed to start this morning with a question for you to consider, and I wanted you to consider it uh, throughout the service today. Uh, what matters to you? I mean, right, if you just took a piece of paper and just jotted down some things, what would that involve? What would that include? You know, what would you write on that paper? What matters to you? Hopefully you're going to come to the conclusion that salvation matters the most, <laughs> right? That, that knowing Christ matters the most. And then maybe you might even come to the conclusion that living for Christ is what matters next, which pretty good order, right? Knowing Christ and living for Christ. And so I want you to kind of think through that this morning and challenge yourself as we look at what Paul says to his child in the faith, uh, to his spiritual son. And I think it's important as we go through this for you to constantly remember the context in terms of where Paul was in his life, right? I mean, he's about to die He's about to be martyred, and there's a sense of urgency. If you, you can feel it in the text, all through here, he wants 
Timothy to continue to run the race. In fact, um, I've come to the conclusion that he wanted Timothy to be able to say the same thing that he says in chapter 4, which is, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I've kept the faith. Does that sound good? I really believe that's exactly what was on the mind of the Apostle Paul. And I don't know that maybe for you and for me today that that shouldn't be on our minds. That we would have in mind as believers in Christ that at the end of our life someone would say they fought the good fight, they finished the course, they kept the faith. <laughs> That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Right? I mean, there's a lot of things that people say at funerals. And sometimes, have you ever said it one and thought, what was just said about that person? Um, and so I think it's important for us to have this mind that Paul had, that he not only was able to say, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, but he wanted that for Timothy. And so all this instruction I mean, if you look at it, you might go, man, some of this stuff's really hard stuff. That's right, <laughs> right? I mean, think about raising children. Some of the things you teach, that's really hard stuff. I mean, remember being the recipient? Remember being a child and receiving the instruction from your parents? This is what you need to do, and this is what you don't need to do. And you heard it over and over and over and over and over again. And you have even told your kids, this is how my parents were. And now they get to hear it from you, and even grandparents get into that as well, right? We still instruct, don't we? And not all instruction is easy to hear. I've come to the conclusion that a good question for us to consider in this particular section is that do these things that Paul tells Timothy, do they really matter? Do they matter? We can shake our head, yeah, well, they matter. But while that's true, they do matter, does it matter enough that it's changed me, that it's moved me? Because if you think in terms of context, the first person to read this instruction is Timothy. It's for him. But he was also the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so guess who else heard this? The church at Ephesus. And just as it was applicable for the church at Ephesus, so it is for us today. We must consider the things being said. And that's my argument, that we don't just read this and go, well, this, is, this was for Timothy, and he was a pastor, and he was a leader, and he really needs to hear these things, needed to hear these things, and, and all pastors need to hear these things today, but eh, it's not really for me. That's not true. There's an order in that. There's Timothy. There's Timothy's audience, which was the church at Ephesus, but there's also the entire church. The church needs to hear what Paul told Timothy. So let's read it, verses 22 through 26 of chapter 2. Look what it says. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse, some translations have reject, and that's really the mind there. Reject foolish and ignorant speculations or philosophies 
knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but he must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Let's pray and ask the Lord to lead us. Lord, this is your eternal word. This, Father, for us today and every Sunday must be central. Your word must be central to the reason that we gather together. And I know as you've taken me through this section of Scripture, you've reminded me over and over and over again how applicable it is for my life. I pray that your church here this morning would come to that same conclusion, that these things are really, really important. And they were important for Timothy, and they were important in Paul's life, important in the church's life in Ephesus, and they're important for us. Please help us by your Spirit to consider these things this morning. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Basically, two headings in this particular section. Paul emphasizes conduct, and he em emphasizes communication. You might call it behavior and conversation. You might call it behavior and speech, but those are the two headings. And basically, as I was thinking about it, that really covers life, does it not? Behavior, one's behavior and one's speech. Or one's conduct and one's communication. Boy, there's a lot under that, isn't there? And there has to be a recognition on our part as believers. Just like Paul wanted Timothy to know, people are watching the way that we live and they are listening to the things that we say. In fact, I would say in this culture today that they're listening to every word that we say. And they're breaking it down. Words became important about the early 90s. And it's like every single word that someone says is being examined. Well, that's not a bad thing, is it? I mean, the Bible tells us in Acts 17 that the Bereans were examiners of the word, every single word. That's the mind. So as we look at this particular section of Scripture, we need to think in terms of conduct and communication, conduct and communication. Look what he says in verse 22. Look what he says. He says, now flee from youthful lust. Flee from youthful lust. You know, as you read that, there's a sense of urgency with what Paul's writing. In fact, in the language in which he writes it, it was for Timothy to hear it this way. Do it now and continue to do it. In other words, flee from youthful lust now, Timothy, as you read this, and continue to flee from youthful lust daily. Every single day, you're to run away from youthful lust. Now, isn't it interesting that 
he doesn't give detail to that. He's very, very detailed on the things that Timothy was to pursue, and we're going to take a look at those things. But he's not as detailed when it comes to the things he's to run away from. Because he says in verse 22, Now flee youthful lust, and lust there's plural. What in the world did Paul have in mind? <laughs> you have to ask yourself that question. When he's talking about youthful lust, what, what was he talking about in the life of Timothy? Was he talking about that he needed to run away from the love of money as he deals with in the first letter in chapter 6, verse 10, 11? What's he talking about? Is he talking about running away from uh, sexual temptations? Is he talking about running away from power? Is he talking about running away from possessions? Things that could capture his heart? I don't know. It doesn't say, does it? I'm quite sure of this, that Timothy knew. And we know they spent time together. We know full well they spent time together. And so the Apostle Paul says to him, Timothy, you run away from youthful lust. You run away. Now notice in your notes, youthful lust describes a craving to do something. Youthful lust were not regulated to sexual sin. Youthful lust are not confined to the young. Youthful lust start when you're young. But they're not confined to the young. We still have issue with lust as we get older, correct? Answer, yes. So he's not saying, hey, look, Timothy, it's only when you're young that you have to be concerned with these things. But it continues, and we know that, don't we? Because we could identify the things in our lives, areas, maybe it's just one or two, where those temptations in our lives come up over and over and over and over again. So Paul doesn't tell him specifically what he was to run from, but I have to assume that Paul not only knew Timothy well, but Timothy also knew that Paul knew him well. Whatever those things were, he was to run away from it. Now, in the context of the passage, maybe one of those things that he was to run away from was having to win arguments, as he's going to address. Because remember, he's already said a couple of time, times in the text, avoid word battles, right? Run away from that. And so I think in the context of the passage, he at least had that in mind, but theologians are kind of divided in what they think in this because Paul is not specific. So is he just talking about in the context being argumentative, always having to be right? Or is he talk, talking about not only that, but other things as it relates to sexual temptations, as it relates to possessions? Because Ephesus was a wealthy city. Maybe it was a problem in the life of Timothy. The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, I like what J.C. Ryle says about this issue of handling temptations or lust. He says, imagination is the hotbed where sin is too often hatched. Isn't it true that our minds can just, man, they can just eat us alive? <laughs> Isn't it crazy the things that cross our minds on a daily basis? He says, guard your thoughts 
and there will be little, little fear about your actions. Guard your thoughts. You know, the Bible tells us to take every thought, what? Captive. It matters the things that we fill our minds with. It matters. In fact, I think some great counsel for the believer is found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Look what Philippians 4 verse 8 says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise. And then how does he end that verse? Dwell on these things. That word dwell has the, the meaning of take up residence. So the idea is that these things are to take up residence in our minds. We're to fill our minds with good things. Where do those good things come from, class? They come from God's Word. And so it's very, very important that we as believers have the same mind as Paul did in Philippians, that we are, in essence, to dwell on these things. These things are to overtake us, as he talks about there, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and so forth. And so Paul is telling Timothy to do something. You run away from youthful lust. Who's the greatest example of that in the Bible? One of the greatest examples of that in the area of temptation and lust was Joseph. What does the Bible say that he did every single day? He ran away. Could it be that we let some things get too close to us? Things that we know that are sin. Things that we know that will take us down potentially a destructive road. I think we do. I think as we get older, we not only understand that youthful lusts are real. <laughs> they're, they're real. But we understand, don't we, the escape route that the Lord's given us. Don't we? As mature believers, we understand the escape route. And we understand as we get older, too, in the Lord, those one or two things that tend to grip us that we have to constantly run from. So in relationship to his conduct, he says, look, Timothy, you need to run away from youthful lust." But then he also tells him that he needs to run toward specific things. Notice what it says in verse 22. Flee from youthful lust, continue to run away from them on a regular basis, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he's telling him to run toward these things. It's an interesting term, the term pursue. There, there, um, sometimes in the Greek, there are word pictures that, man, are just in, in, incredible. This is one of them. The word pursue, the word was used uh, for um, chasing down criminals. They used it in that culture for chasing down criminals. But they also, that word was also used in reference to hunting dogs chasing down the prey. They're running hard toward them. So we think of, hey, a dog's going to run hard toward the prey. We need, as believers, to run hard toward what Paul tells Timothy to run hard toward. 
So he's telling him, you need to run hard toward these specific things. And he's really specific, and I believe the order of this is important. Because he starts with right living. And then right living touches every single one of those things behind what he says there. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Notice what it says at the end of verse 22. That wasn't going to be by himself. It says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Remember what he said in the honorable vessel that we were to uh, run away from those who were dishonorable, right? You remember that? And um, then you contrast that with what he says here. We're to run with those who are pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace. That's great. That's a great picture. So we're not in this Christian life alone. Paul says, listen, you run with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he says, run toward, first of all, righteousness. Run toward righteousness. Uh, the picture of right living comes from the Word of God, right? And that's what he's talking about in terms of righteousness. It just means living right. Uh, it, living right comes from understanding as a believer what God tells us to do and not to do. Um, one should have in mind as a believer to please the Lord. That ought to be the mindset. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Timothy, you need to pursue righteousness. You need to live right before the Lord. Um, think back to when you were saved, when you came to know the Lord. What happened after that point in your life? Were you challenged in the area of sanctification? What it meant to, listen, you were saved, but this is what it means to live for the Lord. You remember that? You know, there are a lot of people out there who um, may know the Lord, but they're stuck. They've never really been discipled. That happens. There are a lot of churches where there's not an emphasis on personal growth. You know, they give the gospel, and that's great. We need to do that. But there has to be a mentality of what is pleasing to the Lord. How does the Lord want me to live? And Paul tells Timothy, hey, look, you're to live right before the Lord with the mind to please him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul says this. He says, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And then he gives them motivation. <laughs> right? Whether we're in the presence of the Lord or whether we're here on earth, the Bible says we're to be pleasing to him. The mindset is to please the Lord. And he gives, he gives the reason why. And notice he includes himself in this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So there has to be a mentality in the church that my conduct matters, that the things that I do matter because people are watching. There needs to be a mind as a Christian, just like Paul wanted Timothy to have that mind. We need to live right before the Lord, and the only way that we're going to know how to do that is we have to get in this book. It's the bottom line. You know what? That's kind of in our face, isn't it? It is. You think about 
the way Timothy received this. I mean, this is hard instruction. He's not just telling Timothy, hey, look, have a great life, live for the Lord, hope things go well. No, no, no. He's very, very specific about what the Lord expected of him. The one writing the letter was Paul, but whose expectations are these? The Lord's? <laughs> I mean, if you're Timothy, you're like, man, I hope there's not a third letter. Well, there's a lot to consider. You're to run away from youthful lust and you're to pursue righteousness, right living. Um, I wrote down this, that living right before the Lord begins with the decision to yield daily to the Spirit of God. That's the decision that every believer has every single morning when they wake up. Am I going to be led by the Spirit or am I going to give in to the lust of the flesh? Those are hard things to consider. But Paul expected Timothy to consider those things. Um, so he talks about pursuing righteousness. Um, secondly, notice he says, pursue faith. So not only was he to pursue righteousness, but he was to pursue faith. Notice what it says. Pursue righteousness, faith, and love. There are two possibilities here as it relates to faith. Um, one, he's either talking about trusting in the Lord, you know, on a daily basis, or he's talking about the issue of faithfulness. Both are good, <laughs> right? Um, I believe, though, based on the context, I think he's talking about trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. That... This is, he's not talking about saving faith, but he's talking about that daily faith. That daily issue of saying, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I believe what you say. Um, Chuck Swindoll, commenting on this, he says, the word faith in this context denotes a confidence in the reliability of a person. When our children lie to us for the first time, what is broken? Trust. And we say to them, I'm going to have a hard time trusting you. Right? We've said that to our kids. When they've lied to us about something. And what do they say? This is what they say. I just, you can trust me. You can trust me again. Everything's good. Trust is a big issue in the Christian life. You know what's wonderful? For you and for me as believers, the Lord does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot change. He does not lie. He is trustworthy. And that's why we can live the Christian life to his glory. We trust him. But let's be honest, there are times in our Christian lives where we have struggles with that. Right? That happens. It happens to all of us. None of us are immune from that. All of us have times where we go, man, Lord, what's going on? Right? Because we're human. 
But as believers, we can be confident in knowing that our Lord does not ever change. <laughs> he is trustworthy. Um, I love what Solomon says in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and then the first part of verse 7 as it relates to trusting the Lord. Here's the wisdom, right? Proverbs is wisdom literature. Trust in the Lord. That's the prepositional phrase there, in the Lord. So the object of my trust is the Lord. Solomon's saying, hey, listen, the object of our trust is the Lord. Now, you know what's so awesome about that term Lord there? It's defined as the self-existent eternal God. That's who we're trusting. We're trusting the one who was not created. He just always has been. That's pretty good. We're trusting the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. That's pretty good. Right? There is no one else like God. So we're trusting the one who is eternal from everlasting to everlasting and the one who is self-existent. That's pretty good. So that's bigger than that, right? When you read this verse and we memorize it, it's like, man, there's a lot in that. Trust in the eternal, self-existent God. And this is what he says, with all your heart. That's the wisdom. That's the wisdom for the reader. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And here's the struggle. And do not lean on your own understanding. How many of us would admit that there have been maybe times, one, two, five, in our lives where we've leaned on our own understanding of something? Trusting the Lord to take care of you on a day-to-day basis. There are cultures around the world where that verse is, man, it's lived out. <laughs> yeah, they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from. I know my grandfather, his dad was a sharecropper, and um, he was a preacher on Sundays. He wore overalls, and he preached on Sundays, and, and there were many times where they were literally sitting at the table and just praying for their next meal, and not one time did the Lord not provide Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And you know what that means also? If we're not going to lean on our own understanding, it means this. We have to commit whatever it is that's bothering us to him and let him handle it. Let him handle it. And you know what that means? He's not on our timetable. Hey, Lord, you know, by 6 o'clock this afternoon, I need an answer. Really? Really? It'd be nice to have an answer by 6 o'clock this afternoon, Lord, but it's in your time because I'm trusting you. And how many times has he protected us by not answering it by 6 o'clock in the afternoon? Do not lean on your understanding. Solomon says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I like the first part of verse 7. I've never heard anybody put this with it, but I could do it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
Because we think we're pretty good. Right? You got it this morning, you looked in the mirror, not pretty good. The reality is that we always need the help of the Lord. We need to trust in him. Man, and think about the context of 2 Timothy. Here's a guy who's about to have his head chopped off, who's in a dungeon, and things are really dark. And he's saying to Timothy, his child in the faith, trust, you can trust. Trust, trust. Trust in the Lord. And listen, these things that... Paul is encouraging Timothy to do that we're to do as well. People observe these things in our lives. They're watching. We have young people in this church that need to see us as older people trusting the Lord. And he says, not only was Timothy to pursue righteousness and faith, but he says pursue love. Pursue love. There's love of the Lord and there's love of others. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength? (laughs) How does that look in our lives? Well, I think we have to understand the term that Paul uses. The term is agape, and it's defined as sacrificial and unconditional. That's what agape love is. Agape love is unique. It's it's different. Um, There are different terms in the New Testament for love. You have phileo, and that's a brotherly love. But he's not using that term here. He's talking about agape love. And agape love is unique in this way. It describes a volitional choice. And as well as demonstrated through one's actions. It describes a choice that we make. We make the choice to love unconditionally and sacrificially. How did God love us? In the same way. His love was demonstrated in that Jesus did what? Came to earth and died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to get better. That wasn't going to happen. His love for us in the scriptures, in the New Testament, is defined as sacrificial and unconditional love. So for Timothy... Paul's saying, listen, you not only need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, but I think he had also in mind loving others as yourself. So it's this mentality that in the context of Ephesians 5, when he talks about the husband's relationship to the wife, husbands are to what? Love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I can tell you this. I haven't always loved my wife unconditionally and sacrificially. I had not done that. I can always get better at that. You know what it means to love 
sacrificially means you put that person first. That's what it means. And Teresa's not here at the early service. She's never here at the early service. But if you were to ask her, has that always loved me sacrificially? The answer is no. It's not. It's not true. I was looking at this. I didn't necessarily want to report that, but that's the truth. It means I'm putting her first. Remember when you first got married and that was like, you know, you were in love and you're going to do that all the time, right? Once that pastor sat down with you and counseled you, you're like, yeah, I can do that. Sacrificial love is difficult because it requires that we put the other person first. And it's unconditional. There's no strings attached. <laughs> but we have to understand it's a volitional choice. It's a choice to love the unlovely. I mean, Paul's telling Timothy, a pastor of the church at Ephesus. And I wonder what came to Timothy's mind as a pastor. Loving all the people that God's given you unconditionally and sacrificially. That's what it means. It's heavy stuff. When I was at Southeastern Bible College, once I took pastoral theology, and they went through some of these texts, I was like, <laughs> I don't know about this. And the great part is that in our own strength, we can't do these things. But we can with the help of the Spirit of God who lives in us. I like what Billy Graham says about agape love. He says, agape love is selfless love. The love God wants us to have isn't just an emotion but a conscious act of the will. It's a deliberate decision. I am going to love my husband in spite of the fact that he's driving me out of my mind. I'm going to love this person. That means I'm going to serve this person in the body even though they're driving me crazy. It's easy to serve people that we get along with. It's hard to put others first that maybe we have a little bit of conflict with. When I was in New York State, one of the ministries that we had in New York was Awana. And it had become, the ministry itself had become a glorified Sunday school. It really wasn't doing what Awana was intended to do, and like 90% of our kids that were coming were church kids, and we weren't reaching the community, and, and so I went to the pastor, and I said, look, this is just not, it's not working, and, um, <laughs> and he said, well, Thad, if you want to see it change, change it. If you want to see outreach happen, it's yours, change it. Well, Juana had been in that church for 16 years. And you don't just change something like that. Went to the congregation, talked to them about the need for more workers if we were going to do Awana. Didn't have any response. I had two families that said they'd try it. Like, yeah, well. So we didn't do it. 
And I sat in a room with about 20 other people. And we came up with a ministry called One Way Club. And we did it once a month, and it was a great. We went from 90% churched kids to about 60% unchurched kids. It was, it was awesome. It was a great outreach ministry. But in the beginning, not everybody was on board. There was one particular person that, I guess you have to understand northern people. They'll just come right at you. Um, they're not going to come around, you know, and beat around the bush. They're going to come right at you. And they're going to tell you what they think, and then they'll invite you to lunch. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And this one lady, she came to me, she said, that I think you're making a horrible mistake. I said, yes, ma'am, I understand. She said, I don't think you do understand. I'm like, wow, welcome to the ministry. And so, long story short, you know what my responsibility was to this person? To continue to love her unconditionally. See, rubber meets the road. It's, it's much, much more difficult than you think. And listen, Timothy didn't have, everybody wasn't a, a, a fan necessarily, right? We know that based on the context of the passage. And the discipline that took place in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we know that there were issues in that church. So agape love is challenging, and it's challenging for all of us. And then, um, back up here. And then he comes to the issue of peace. So he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and then he says, peace. Notice what it says, verse uh, 22. Run away from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The idea here of peace is to join together again of that which has been separated or divided. There's peace with God, and that takes place at salvation. But then there's peace within the community of believers, pursuing peace with others. It's difficult, is it not, at times, to pursue that peace? And are you willing to be the one that pursues it when you know there's conflict, when you know there's disagreement? Paul's telling Timothy, look, you need to pursue peace. There's things in the church that separate, Timothy, but you need to be about unity. And the Apostle Paul talks about unity over and over again in the New Testament. In fact, one of my favorite passages on this issue of unity is found in the book of Ephesians. Let me get to it. the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, it'd be good if you turn there. I think we have time. Ephesians, chapter 4, right before he talks about this issue of unity, he says in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, these words Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 
Therefore, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So for three chapters, he set them up to receive this instruction. And then he just told them, listen, all the glory belongs to the Lord. And if you're going to glorify the Lord, these are the things that you need to do. And he spends two chapters talking about the believer's walk. But here he says, you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In other words, you're different. You have a new identity. You're in Christ. There are expectations. So he says, you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And then he tells them how they're to walk. How they're to do that. With all humility and gentleness. Humility meaning I'm depending on the Lord. Gentleness we'll look at next week together. What does that mean? With gentleness, he says, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Right? And then he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the question becomes for every single believer, am I doing my part to maintain peace within the body of Christ? Because you know what? There are times of unrest in the church. I actually think we're going through one of those times. And I'm not talking about just this assembly. I'm talking about as a whole. I think there's quite a bit of turmoil in the church today. There's probably a lot of restoration that needs to take place with believers. I'm just throwing that out there to think about. So Paul tells him, listen, you need to pursue peace. And notice what Wayne Barber says in this context. The sentence means to join with other believers in pursuit of peace. You're joining with them, pursuing peace. We like peace, don't we? We like when there's peace, when there's this absence of, of conflict in the body. And so Paul encourages him, exhorts him to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But there's one caveat to this, and that's found in verse 23 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice what he says. After he tells them to flee from youthful lust and to pursue these things, he says, verse 23, but refuse foolish. That word foolish there is moronic. Refuse moronic and ignorant or uneducated or untrained. Those are all the meanings of that term. Speculations, which is philosophies or controversies. He says, reject them knowing that they produce quarrels. You say, well, that's a pretty strong transition from what he's just talked about. Yeah, it is. Because he says, these are the things you're to pursue, and there are a lot of good things, but then he, it's like there's this caveat to this. And the caveat is, hey, look, you're to avoid, you're to reject, these useless conversations, these exchange of philosophical words is the idea. You know, it's interesting, too, 
It's in the present tense, meaning that Timothy was to reject these things over and over and over and over and over again. If you're going to be an honorable vessel, you can't be arguing all of the time. picture here, I put it in your notes, is of one engaging in debates rather than carrying out a genuine search for information. You know what's interesting? In the next section, he pounds on this. When he starts talking about communication, he pounds on it. The picture here is pretty incredible because it's a picture of, of someone sitting down with another and just, I mean, they're going at it. And Paul says you're to refuse this and you're to do it over and over and over again. But there ought to be, as believers, listen, there ought to be this, this mind that we can sit down together and examine what the Bible says. Just for an example to kind of get your mind around this. You know, there are philosophical things that we can argue with non-believers about. They're not going to hear us like we're wanting them to hear us because they don't have the mind of Christ. Okay, so I'm, I'm telling you right now, we're wasting our time. You know what we need to do with unbelievers? Share the gospel with them. They need Christ. But when it comes to the believer, there are times within the body where there are debates that go on, right? It happens. Well, he's telling him to reject these philosophical debates that take place that arise, that even arise within the church. This is what I believe we ought to do. I believe we ought to take the example of the Berean church and examine the scriptures and be willing to sit down with people in love and look at what it says. Like, for example, if someone came to you and they had questions about spiritual gifts, the sign gifts, you say, ah, that's just, you just don't want me to believe that. You know, well, okay. Maybe that's not the best way to approach it. Maybe the best way to approach it, hey, look, let's look at what the New Testament says about spiritual gifts. Here are some passages. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about spiritual gifts, right? We know that. 1 Corinthians, Paul spends a good amount of scripture talking about spiritual gifts. Let's look and see what he says about it. Instead of having this, because there's a lot of times this mentality of, I'm right, you're wrong. Maybe there ought to be the mentality that, hey, look, I believe this is what God's word says, and I'm going to stand on that, but I need to be able to do that in a way that demonstrates love for that person. You say, well, that, that sounds too soft. It's not. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in the first letter, Chapter 1, he says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. Okay, that sounds reasonable, right? You don't want that to happen. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But notice what he says. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men strained from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. There's a way to approach 
things within the church. And so the Apostle Paul spoke about that. And he tells Timothy, look, reject these controversies and having these exchanges. That doesn't mean we don't stand on the truth. That's what Paul's saying. But it's the way that we stand. William Hendrickson, I don't know if I put this on PowerPoint or not. Yeah, I did. I like what William Hendrickson said. He says, the person who has is properly been trained in God's word is able to distinguish between worthwhile and meaningless conversation. There's a lot of meaningless conversation going on today in the church. We need to make sure that when we're in those times where we're having hard discussions, and this is very, very important to hear, that the central focus for us when we're having debates and discussions, as people would call them, that we would be willing to sit down and make the Word of God the central issue and not being right the central issue. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you right now, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. I remember having a discussion one time with a man several years ago about baptism. He wanted to talk about the mode of baptism. He said, that when I was younger, I was sprinkled. I said, okay. And he said, I just don't, I'm not quite sure where I stand on that. He said, I, I think I'm good being sprinkled. I said, okay. And, and, I, and I could tell he was just like wanting me to tell him right away what I thought. But I was like, eh, let's just see where this goes. He said, yeah, I was sprinkled. He said, and I know a lot of my friends who, who were saved, and they were sprinkled, and they're fine. I said, okay. I said, well, um, you know, have you, have you heard about immersion? He said, yeah. He said, the Baptists do that. I said, yeah. I said, they, they do that. I said, others do that as well. He said, I just don't know. He said, I just, I'm really struggling. He said, all I've ever done, and these were his words, all I've ever done is found somebody who wants to argue with me about this. I'm like, yeah, I said, I, I get that. I said, I understand that. He said, but I think you'll, you'll be willing to kind of sit down with me and discuss it. And I said, sure, I'm willing to do that. Well, all these things are running through my mind. You know, how am I going to fix this man? And how am I going to fix his thinking? And the Holy Spirit was like, hey, Thad, it's not your job to fix that man. It's your not your job to fix his thinking. It's your job to tell him what the word says. So I opened the word and we went through it. We talked about the word baptizo and what it meant. I said, look, this seems to be what the New Testament teaches. That's where I stand. That's where our church stands. He says, you know, in all the years I've been saved, I've never had someone sit down with me and just go through it like that. Now, guys, I give you that illustration because you know what happens a lot of times with people? In churches, they just start doing that and never pick up, uh oh, and never pick up this. My encouragement is that we can pick this up and we can have a sit down discussion and conversation with people. And you know what? At the end of the day, that we leave the results to the Lord, let Him handle it. Well, when you think about what Paul wrote Timothy, 
In his first section, he's talking about his conduct. And so for us, I think the takeaway is this, Lord, how do you want all these things to work out in my life? You know, how, how do you, what are those areas in my life where, you know, there's maybe lust going on, right? Um, Lord, how am I doing in pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace? Not only with you, but with other believers. And then, Lord, am I a person who's prone just to want to win an argument, or am I willing to sit down, right? I need to avoid those things that just are going nowhere, right? The useless conversations. But there are times within the church body where somebody has a genuine question. Lord, help me to have the spirit that I need to have to be able to share with them your truth. All right, well, let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, the the hard things in Scripture um, are difficult to talk about because it's in in essence they kind of enter our living room, so to speak, and and uh, we might get uncomfortable. But I think it's good to be uncomfortable. It's okay that we're uncomfortable with some things. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would learn from what Paul instructed Timothy with, that we would understand that, Lord, there are times in our Christian life where we just need reminders, and maybe for all of us in this room, these are just reminders that we need. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to be able to, um, every day, as we were encouraged this morning, to every day yield to the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God would be the one that would lead us, and Lord, that we would not be led by our flesh. Help us to be men and women who have in mind that these things that Paul told Timothy are really important things. Because there are a lot of things that we would list on a sheet of paper that are important things. Lord, I pray that at the top of our list, the most important is knowing that we know you. And that under that, right under that, it's knowing how we should live for you. And so, Lord, we just uh, give you this morning... And uh, help us, Lord, to uh, be led by your spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If y'all just stand as we close the worship together.
and thank you guys. Appreciate you guys leading us this morning. I wanted to make mention next week we'll finish uh, and talk about the communication piece, but we'll also have the Lord's Supper next week. So I just wanted to just make mention of that so you can kind of prepare your mind for that. I think it's good to have that preparation time coming in. And um, so we just wanted to make mention of that to you uh, for next week. You are dismissed.